podcast today with Rob Pethel, a music educator out of Atlanta Public Schools of the Atlanta Virtual Academy. We talked about the idea of moving from literacy to fluency, and it reminded me of something I wrote in my book with Katie Novak called Innovate Inside the Box, and I wanted to share it with you in the introduction. Do students see a larger purpose in their learning? In Canada, where I used to live, many of our schools teach French. In my view, there are two ways you can teach the language. You can focus on every student getting an A, the more data-driven way, by covering the material, testing, reteaching, and documenting what was retained with a test. Or you can do something that is much more challenging and more meaningful. Teach students to become fluent, the learner-driven, evidence-informed way. Teaching for fluency is tough. You have to know the kids in front of you, and they have to see value in and deeply understand why the content is important. Knowing the students allows you to understand what drives them so you can tap into it and help them develop the intrinsic motivation to eventually learn on their own. This approach rarely aligns with a pacing guide or scripted curriculum as learners will move at different paces and take various paths. But the payoff of teaching for fluency goes far beyond the grade. Here's the deal. If you can help students become fluent, getting the A will probably be easy. But I can also tell you that as a student, I often received an A in my French class but I can speak very little French today. I did what I had to do and got out of the class as soon as possible. My focus was solely on obtaining a result rather than purposeful learning, so the results were temporary. This is something that I think is really important in education, but I'm gonna be honest with you, it is not easy because part of the conversation that we have is no matter what we're teaching is how are we moving from that literacy, those basic understandings to fluency, and that really helps that really focuses on developing an, an eight, innate reason to want to learn. And how do we spark that in our, our students and spark it in ourselves that we go beyond this is something you have to do because you're going to be tested on it. And I think that was a real challenge for me as a student that I never really saw value in some things that we were learning. But the teachers that really did the best with me, they wanted they got me to get to a place where I wanted to learn on my own, that I would go explore those topics. And I wanted to be that teacher. And I can't honestly say I was that all the time, not even as much as I should have been. But that is the challenge of education is how do we take the things that, you know, kids are going to be tested on having those checklists. And, and I say this um, to educators all the time that I never want anyone's results because we're often measured, you know, on scores in schools, unfortunately, to go down after they hear me talk. But if we focus on developing really great test takers, it doesn't mean we're gonna develop great learners, but if you develop kids who are great learners, they'll be totally fine on the test. And that is something I thought about as I'm talking to Rob today in this podcast, and he shared some of his strategies, the way he moves you know, his students from that, the basic notion and, and moving from literacy to fluency, but also how music has such an impact on how we think, design thinking, leadership skills. There's so many different things in here that I really appreciate as someone who has hugely benefited from an amazing music teacher as a child. And many of the things that I do today are totally because of my grade eight music teacher or my actually my kindergarten grade eight music teacher, Cindy Penrose, who's also my grade three teacher, where she got me so excited about music that I was explore it on my own. I wanted to continue this. And I have an interest in the fine arts to this day because of my music teacher. I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but I know I have a passion 
for this because of a, what a, a teacher instilled in me. And I think you're gonna learn a lot from Rob. I really appreciate the conversation, but um, if not, <laughs> then I guess we blew it. I'm just kidding. Anyways, welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. Hey everyone, this is George Kroos. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I am blessed today to have Rob Pethel, who has taken time out of his Thanksgiving break. Uh, we are recording this on November 20th. Uh, he is currently a teacher at Atlanta Virtual Academy with Atlanta Public Schools. Atlanta Public School is very near and dear to my heart. Some wonderful friends I've made there um, over the past two years. Just amazing, amazing educators, staff. Uh, I even got to meet some of your students, some, a lot of your administrators, wonderful school district. And so Rob actually teaches music. And I told them that that is a very dear subject to my heart. A lot of my opportunities for speaking, I could attribute back to my grade three teacher, uh, who is also my elementary music teacher, Cindy Penrose. And so um, Rob shared something really powerful with me before we even started the podcast is that, you know, even though I, I, something about music that, you know, that I have gifts in, it's led to so many other things. And there's so many other things that I see. So we're going to kind of dig into that. But Rob, if you can just kind of introduce yourself, who you are, what you do today, how you got there, I think it's a great place to start. Absolutely. Hey, all right, George, thanks for having me here. Uh, good to see you always. Rob Pethel's my name. Uh, I'm a Georgia native, grew up uh, in Northwest Georgia in the Rome R. Murchie area, came to Georgia State in Atlanta in 99 and started working for APS, Atlanta Public Schools, in uh, 2008. And uh, uh, it's been a fantastic journey teaching music. Uh, and then that's blossomed into other things. So I began teaching, uh, teach chorus and general music. And uh, that slowly became uh, chorus and guitar class because that was my main thing. I was, a, I was having to teach this class at chorus, which I was not that good at. But my real specialty was teaching instruments and guitars. So my administration, they saw my strengths and they were able to to create this guitar program. In fact, they actually said the, the words. They said, what do you think about having an official guitar class? And when they said that, I was just like, I just had to be quiet. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. That's what I wanted the whole time. But it was never advertised because it wasn't an idea so there's a little lesson baked into that you know like be like be yourself and then do the job that people ask you to do but always be shooting out new ideas and show show the skills you have because those skills you have there's probably a place for them so tell everyone and i'm curious about this too because i actually we were talking about this before i nowhere near you but i i play guitar and uh, i don't play ukulele i picked it up with my daughter and i'm not very good at it but uh, I do play guitar and not like, not, I can do campfire songs. That's the best way I could do that. Um, which is all I kind of wanted to do. I just like kind of playing. It's a good stress relief for me. Um, but I learned in a time prior to YouTube, I learned over the internet. I honestly can't remember. Cause it's like, I don't remember a time without YouTube being on the internet, mm -hmm. which is kind of weird. Right. Uh, you know, I think I took maybe one or two lessons and then just locked myself away until I figured it out. Um, tell can you explain like, what is a music class in a virtual setting? What does that look like? How, how, how would I, like, if I was coming to come to your class, what does that look like? I think people right, are, are right. really interested in that. 
Yeah, I mean, my my job confounds a lot of people when they first hear what I do. They say, "Oh, you teach music, right?" So, but it all goes it all goes back to um, what options people have, like how they see education. Um, it, it all comes down to how they see education. So, um, when you look at music in schools, most people think of a, a band. You, let me let me tell you, when you think of music in schools, what 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 images come to mind? Well, I, when I think of music in schools, I think a lot about, to be honest, you plays that we put on. Cause that was like, and timing and, you know, a lot of the stuff that I did, what I do in speaking, like when I speak, I'm very cognizant of timing. And, um, a lot of that comes to creativity. Uh, but then there's also the, there's 20 kids in a classroom strumming a ukulele. And I also think of that too, right. Kind of going through some of that. Uh, one time I, I'll be honest with you, my, my band teacher, uh, his name was Mr. Howie and he was his first year of teaching. And I, I honestly, we were terrible to him. And I, I don't know to, if you teach band, the patience you have for a first year, class, <laughs> I know you got, you got to have something, right? Like there's something there. I know I, I was in band until eighth grade, Yeah, but I've never taught band. And, uh, but you know, band is a, is a solid option for, for music education. Then you have, then you have, um, Orchestra, if you're lucky, your school has an orchestra, and then you have choir. So in the music ed world, that's what, what that's what we call kind of like traditional music education. We call that BOC, band, orchestra, choir. That's traditional music ed. But as I was coming up, um, I was not in that world. I was not in the BOC world. I was a guitar player. Even though I was music education, I had my state certification. So it was kind of like the other. It's kind of uh, the, the, the alternative or the my favorite phrase right now is non-trad, non-traditional, that whole non-traditional wave, which is so important. But I was, I was a kind of a native non-traditional music person. So I was trying to fit in to the BOC world um, and it wasn't really working. And it wasn't until I was able to, uh, to kind of go back to the drawing board, work it out with the administration on approaches. And then they, and then, support in those strong areas. So I started teaching ukulele in general music class. And then that became, uh, that then that grew into guitar and then grew into a modern band. So then COVID hits, the whole world goes virtual and everybody's struggling to teach online. And when that happened, I'm loving it because I love technology. I, I love, I love my, all my Apple computers and guitars and software. So we went online. I'd already written a guitar curriculum several years ago called Blue Guitar that I, I, you know, I sell to schools outside of Atlanta. And we had, I had all these lessons ready to go. So online format was a natural fit for me. The, um, which, how you mentioned like learning guitar with YouTube, Mm -hmm. that was, that was my approach for virtual. I said, well, we just need to look at teaching music instead of teaching it in a large group format, like band, orchestra, choir. And look at it a little bit more individualistically hmm. uh, and think of it in the YouTube format, because that's how people really learn music. They learn it at home. They learn watching videos. They learn by themselves. So if you could tap into that energy hmm. and put it in a school format, you could do it. And it just took a pandemic to shut the traditional system down to let those seeds kind of grow up a little bit. So I lean, I'd leaned into that music technology, having kids get their own instruments having ways for uh, students to even pick up instruments or borrow instruments from school to take home, making it real, making it uh, lifelong. That's, that's the real goal. Lifelong learning and musicianship. Well, that's a, I think that's a really important 
point and you kind of talked about, you know, maybe non-traditional way of kind of being in that role and not really being focused on education because you're really focused on learning. And the reality of it is you probably get kids interested enough, give them basics that they go explore and they have that interest to go figure some stuff out. And that's where you kind of develop that skill set. And for me, that's a really important aspect of what I talk about all the time is this notion of empowerment, getting kids to the point where they feel no offense to you or any teacher, they don't need you, but you know, they do need you to kind of build those basics to kind of get to that point. So like when I'm thinking about when I um, learned to play guitar, I did get a couple of lessons, like here's how to play some chords. Here's this, you know, kind of some strumming te techniques, but I was so invested in wanting to do it. Then I went and like, you know, I spent time on my own and explored stuff and found music that I wanted to play. Um, the one thing that I always talk about, and I think is something I was kind of mentioned this about, you know, the band teacher with their kids playing, like if you're playing clarinet and you got to hear a kid play clarinet for the first time, that must suck. Like it must be horrible. Right. And the goal of, I think the band teacher is to get them and, you know, band music choir is to get those kids to a place where they can't stand what they're hearing to be able to get back, to be able to say like, wow, I'm so proud of this. Right. And the reason I t use that analogy is because when I hear like an English teacher saying, uh, I don't want to read these essays. Well, where do we get to the point where we get the kids writing so well that we want to read them? And that's like, to me is like the connection between, you know, music and band and how we teach every class that we are like, you know, we've got these kids to a point where I could just sit back and I would love to read. Are we asking kids to write stuff? We would even want to read. Right. And I think that, that to me is uh, really important. Uh, you, you talked about, uh, just kind of your, you know, career trajectory into music. But when we were talking before, we talked about leadership and I'll ask you more about that in a second, but really kind of the connection to design thinking technology. How do you see that those you know what you're doing in music connected to those things specifically oh wow yeah it's, it's those uh it's, it's that kind of skill set where you go into it so i have to brag a little bit on my school the, the virtual academy um because we are able to do uh some great stuff you know our, our principal kamisha perry evans she connects the dots and she uh we, we're working a lot with our district innovation department, what they call the uh, official called the uh, Office of Innovation and Redesign. And those are some of the coolest folks that uh, that I've met. So we're getting to work with and you probably you probably met several, several of folks there. Uh, uh, Dr. Simon Maxwell and uh, Tanisha Poe, they are doing some great stuff with redesign. I think they're working with the, the Stanford design thinking model. Yep. Yep. And one thing that uh, when they've done some training for us, is such a great uh, model that whole Stanford design, I believe, it's all interdisciplinary and it's all optional. It's like none, none of that is for credit. It's like, hey, guys, we're going right. to make some ideas over here. If you don't want to come, don't come. If you want to come, volunteer. So tapping into that and that's going that's, you know, similar to what you were saying with the, the students writing their essays. It's almost like a little reverse psychology, but like, hey, guys, you don't want to write essays. Fine. But if you do want to write essays, we're going to do essays over here and, and make some powerful writing statements. So that was it. The Office of Innovation Redesign. Where do you start from? Kind of that 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 uh, start by listening, observing, trying to find, you know, identifying problems and then focusing on solutions, prototyping, experimenting, tweaking, um, 
tinker. Love that word. You have to, to tinker on things and, and give it a time. And then the most important one to me is reflection. I would take reflection over planning any day of the week. Mm-hmm. You go in making a plan. Let's say we planned this interview and I had all these plans for, well, I need to be ready for this is what I want to talk about, blah, blah, blah. Come in. George Kuros doesn't want to talk about any of those things. My plan right. failed. All that time spent was wasted. So um, what's better is you, you, you have something that's authentic and real and you make it, you make it as, as uh, interesting as you can make it. Then you, how do we plan this? So that, that whole reflection part is uh, not to diminish the role of planning, but all, all plans are, uh, are subject to being, uh, you know, not to not working at all. You have to have the power of reflection because it shows what actually happened. And, all, and then you identify all the variables that you didn't know existed. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I actually remember specifically when working with Atlanta Public Schools, um, they were, we were talking about, and I think this is actually when your principal connected you because I, I worked with them. Uh, there's things I said I'm going to talk about. They were like, okay, well, tell us what you're doing at like this time. I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know? So, because I haven't met anybody yet. So I'm going to share some ideas and then I'm going to see the reaction and I'm going to get some feedback on what people would like to learn. But then I'm going to change it. So I'm not beholden to at 10 o'clock, I'm going to be doing this specifically to a group of people. I don't know what they need and I don't know who they are and I don't know what would best, you know, what will be there be most interested in learning. So that was a little bit of a shock, I think, because it's typically like, Hey, we know we're at 10, we're doing this 11, we're doing this thing too. And the, this is an analogy I've used. I'm, I'm curious to your thoughts on this. Cause I've used this and I got some pushback on it, but I talk about jazz musicians and the, the, the best jazz musicians, and I don't know jazz well enough, but you know, I know a little bit of the culture are known to have the ability to improvise, to like create music on the spot. That's just incredible. And kind of go with the flow of the room, go with the flow with the people they're playing music with. But my argument has always been the only reason they have the ability to improvise is because they know the basics inside out. It's not like they just picked up a trumpet one day and just started doing stuff. They know their basics inside out that they actually can go off of the, the, the beaten path for, you know, lack of a better term. Is that like, is that fair to say? Like that's kind of maybe connected to what you were sharing with that too? Because I, I think that is a really, it's not like people don't know their content. It's not like people don't understand their disciplines, but I think if you really understand them, you can go in different directions based on the people in front of you. Yeah, you have to you have to keep what works. That's what I have written down on my wall. That's just a little phrase that I just I like to write down and just keep what works. And uh, you don't know what works until you experiment. Right. It's the uh, I love the analogy of uh, throw spaghetti on the wall and and, and keep what sticks. You know what what's going to stick. So if I'm talking to you. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to put a bunch of stuff out there and see what sticks, see what resonates, and then go in, refine it, plant it. Um, as an educator, we have to get, we have to think of that uh, that personalized learning approach. That's kind of a big phrase right now. Are you familiar with that? The whole personalized learning. You know, before we would talk about differentiation and uh, you know addressing multiple intelligences. To me, that all kind of hits at the same thing where uh, not everybody is gonna think of things the same way. In fact, no one is, we're all unique. 
So find what works in that context and don't think that you have to do things a certain way just because you saw them come up that way. Cause it might, it might not work at all. It's funny you say that. Cause I actually, um, I wrote a post years ago and it was basically said, like we talk about personalized learning, but all learning is personal. Like all of it is personal because every person comes in with a certain set of information and knowledge. They have a certain interest in what you're talking about and they have certain uh, goals for their future. So like all of it is personal, right? And so like everyone, and that's something I really appreciate when I talk to groups or work with groups, everyone, it's not like everyone took this one thing away from what I shared. They all take different things based on where they're at, who they are, what their experiences in life are. And I think that, you know, like we, we pretend we came up with this, but all learning has been personal forever. And so we're just, we're just picking up, we're just picking up on some of the, you know, timeless truths that have always been there. We think that we're discovering them, but now they're, they've been there, but let's, but I want to hit hit one topic though. It was about um, music and you were initially asking about, you know, music and why does, how does that factor into what I'm doing now? But um, it kind of depends on how you approach music. Cause not all, a lot of times people say, oh yeah, you're a musician. So you're very creative and this, this and that. But I mean, I've known a lot of musicians who were not creative. Just because you do music does not necessarily mean that you're creative or expressive. It, some some uh, musicians have a very narrow approach, depending on how how you were taught and how you see your role in music. And you just you just you're just kind of a note reader. You play your part, and then that's it. Um, that's not really how ever I've ever seen music. Music is a language. And people have said that for forever. The probably the uh, the Suzuki method, the the Japanese music educator uh, Shinichi Suzuki, he he uh, coined the phrase um, the mother tongue approach. Hmm. And he and he he's so influential in my how I see music, and then how I see education and teaching and learning. And it's not just limited to music, but but you need to teach music as if it were a language because it is. Hmm. And when people learn a language. You don't put a book in front of their in front of a toddler's face and teach them the alphabet. You don't um, sit down and just strictly work on the written phase. You spend the first two years of learning language just saying, just babbling, crying, laughing, and then slowly you pick up your words, and then it becomes natural. And that's why um, when you approach music like that, it's more likely to sink in because you need to see it as a uh, as a language. So if you can take that approach to everything. Let's say we're teaching, um, say we're teaching science. Well, science could be a language too. It's, it's experimentation, it's trial and error, and it's, it's a language, it's an approach. You just, you, you continue to learn that so that it becomes natural and second nature. You look at technology, that's the field that I keep getting deeper and deeper into. And uh, technology is a language, coding is a language. It's a whole, it's a whole approach. You can't be afraid to mess up. Kids are not afraid. My, I have a three-year-old son. He's not worried about his grammar. He's not worried about saying a word wrong. He says, he can't say yogurt. He says, your go. That's right. Actually, that's that's, that's your name. Yasu, your go. He says, he says, your go. He doesn't care about his grammar. He doesn't worry about his, about his syntax. Right. He just communicates. And so much, you know, I think in education, sometimes we focus so much on the, the, the grammar section. Why? I think it's because that's the section that's easy to assess. It's easy to assess 
your grammar. It's easier to assess your, your mathematical formulas. It's not easy to, to um, assess the design process. It's not easy to assess uh, creativity, composition, and, and those things. So I think that's, that's why it is. Music has helped me be, uh, I think, a much better teacher than I could be otherwise. And for the record, if I wasn't a musician, I probably would not. Uh, if I wasn't a music teacher, I probably wouldn't be teaching. Right. Wouldn't have gotten into a career in education. I was not uh, what you would call your best student. Uh, I was, even though I was in the gifted program growing up, I was uh, not really into school, didn't like the culture, got into high school, was not really, I didn't like class, didn't make good grades, um, didn't really see the point of it. Uh, so that's, the, that, that's, that's my take. The, uh, the, I think what you're talking about is something I refer to in interviewers mindset. And I know you said a lot of that connected. I talk about the idea of moving from literacy to fluency, right? Like, so you have to have some basic skills to be literate, but it is the goal to get kids a fluency and for fluency to happen, they have to see value. They have to mm -hmm. see that. So, uh, I was, this is true. And it's funny cause I meet French teachers all the time, you know, growing up in Canada, we were taught French in school. And I still know this term, est-ce que je peux aller aux toilettes, which means, can I go to the bathroom? There you go. <laughs> so basically you had to say, to go, be able to go to the bathroom in French class, you had to be able to say it in French. So it was like, I had to learn it. Right. But other than that, I never saw much relevance and, you know, uh, to my life. And so I learned some basic skills. I learned some basic things in French. I can, I can read it. French. Uh, but I cannot, I, I never really became fluent because I never saw a value in it. And I think that's a real challenge for teachers to get kids to the point where they see, and you were talking about this earlier, you, part of your role is to get, you know, kind of teach kids the basics, but then get them to see a value where they, they like fluency is kind of up to the learner. Right. And so, but part of teaching is getting kids to see the value and how is this actually, and I've been guilty of this. I hate, I, and I'm, I'm going to point out myself sometimes when a kid would say, why do I have to learn this? I'm like, cause you have to <laughs> like, cause you have to. And they're like, why? Because this is going to be on the test. You know, that's early in my career. And if that's the answer, they'll never see value. Right. There's gotta be something bigger than that. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about, and you mentioned this, uh, I know you talk, you talk a lot about leadership. How has your role, you know, teaching music, uh, connection, innovation, uh, how do you see it connecting to leadership and, and what, um, what that looks like in your school, maybe in your school district. Cause I know a lot of people know you, um, outside of your school in, um, in, in Atlanta public school. So give me that connection to leadership and, and music. Well, Hmm. I think the secret is understanding um, or, or thinking about energy. There is uh, there's a lot of energy out there. And the question is, how are you going to tap into that energy? If you are uh, if you're a, a, a music educator or you're in a music atmosphere and you have a large ensemble, there's a lot of, I guess you'd call that potential energy. Mm. You, those, those instruments are ready to go. The strings are tuned. There's people playing them. Um, the, the job of the conductor 
That's a great word, isn't it? The conductor is is you are con- you're trying to conduct the energy, collect the energy, and then and then take it down somewhere. And it's and it's the same thing in a um, leadership capacity. You're trying to to guide that process, to tap into all those sources of energy, and and have them play. Uh, but it's also it's also a, a, a beautiful system. You have to set up a system that can maximize that flow. So having your having your departments, having your people who can do certain things, having that team uh, lets you have that that sum that's greater than the parts. Yeah. Have you ever seen Have you seen the movie Whiplash? Have you seen those? Have you seen yes, that? I have. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's those there's those type of leaders too, which you're like kind of terrified of, right? Like when you you were talking earlier, I was like, oh, that movie. Even though it's like. There's, if you've ever, if anyone's listened to it and they've seen that movie, it is probably one of my favorite movies ever, but it's also a little bit terrifying. Like it is completely terrifying, but music school is terrifying. You are, and, but George stepping on stage is terrifying. Right. They're prepared. And, and you'd say they're almost preparing you for the real world. Yeah. Wow. That it's movie. terrifying. I have not, uh, I've never thrown a symbol at someone's head, but I will tell you <laughs> Good to know. I have that, that whole on my right. tempo. Right. On my tempo, I, that that's real. <laughs> I, I bet that is real. I that is uh that is amazing. All right, Not so quite. go ahead. Go, this is my last question. Um, I am uh my daughter Clea. She's seven years old, and I um she wants to learn start playing piano, and I'm all for it. I also play a little piano. I can, you know, like uh, I can play. Still to this day, my like recital songs, right? You give me a piano. It's the first thing I do. I play my recital songs. People are like, right, right away. So as she's getting into this and she's just starting, because I think the frustration, and this is what I'm thinking of. I've been playing like, she's getting more and more into it, getting a piano for, or like a keyboard for her soon. And my frustration when I took music when I was a kid, and which is why I quit, was I didn't want to play the basics. I wanted right to the songs I liked. Yes. So how do you, what do you do there? How do you, how do I, what's your advice to me helping my daughter saying like, Hey, you want to get there, but you got to do this. Like, how? Oh, do you do okay. There, there's a, um, I remember looking through. So in the summer, I, I'm part of this organization called the teaching guitar workshop, where we take music teachers who want to learn how to teach guitar and let's say they're band orchestra choir teachers. And they come to our week long workshop and we teach them how to teach guitar. Yeah. Uh, I love that that role so much. So yeah, shout out to the teaching guitar workshop. Um, teaching guitar workshop. But in the in the in the workshop, um, there's a there's a book that we go through, and it has a lot of famous guitar players. It's got Jimi Hendrix. It's got all these. It's got all these people. It's got Stevie Ray Vaughan, and there it shows them holding the guitar. And in each one of the pictures, these virtuosos are holding the guitar in a way that teachers always say, don't hold it. Really? You know, they got their thumb around here. They got their, they got right. this over there, but these people are so much better than anybody you'll ever find. Right. So what I would say, I'd be like, you know, we just got done teaching these teaching folks like, Hey, hold, keep your thumb back here and keep your arm, keep your wrist bent. And then we open up the page and there's Jimi Hendrix. It's like, guys always keep, um, you know, your position like this, unless you want to play like Jimi Hendrix. So, so first of all, never the whole basic, the whole notion of basics. I scrap those. Hmm. Like what, what what are basics to me? 
um, your your actual experience. Like I'm thinking about what does George know? What does music mean to you? And then also think about basics as far as like simple to complex. That 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 guides my my philosophy all the time. I'm always thinking simple to complex. Break things down to building blocks, then put them together. Simple to complex. So uh, teaching piano. I teach a lot of kids piano, even though I'm not a keyboard player. I'm not that good. I said, I'm going to approach piano. It's actually good that I'm not good at piano because I can see it like the students do. So just just for fun, I said, you know what, guys? Um, Here's your first piano lesson. We're not going to play any of the white keys. We're only going to play the black keys. And then on my planning period, I would sit down there and I would look at the piano and try to figure out some approaches to the piano that I've never thought of before. And I, I wrote three easy beginner piano songs that only use the black keys, which, by the way, is a pentatonic scale, right. which is a beautiful scale. You can play, uh, you can play. This is the first musical performance on Innovator's Mindset. First musical performance. But you, but you have these easy songs, right? And I teach the, and the, the beginner first song. It's called beginner, beginner Piano Song Number One. And it's you take three fingers, hold up three fingers, George, yeah. right here. Okay, yeah. got your imaginary piano. See these three black keys? Yeah. I'm gonna play them all together. Huh. So I'm not going through the basics like here's middle C, right. here's your whole note, one, two, three, four. We're not counting that. I'm just saying, I'm like, like play the black keys. And you just start to play it. This is being a toddler mm. babbling. And you start to realize it and you see the piano for what it is. Then you start to organize it. Okay, instead of doing three hits all together, let's do them. And you start with the black keys. Similarly on uh, on the guitar, starting with really, really easy melodies and positions. So you set them up to just begin to, to play naturally. Repetition is key. Um, I don't know if I got off, off topic a little bit but that's what it is you keep it simple you remove the basics the notion of basics and then you explore you experiment and uh, then you refine yeah because i feel that's yeah as you're, i'm listening to you and i'm thinking about my experience as a kid a lot of it was like right into this i'm like i just want to i just want to smash the keys <laughs> i just want to jam the topic, just do stuff right right the top jam that's my word okay with you're the not, not students smashing, not smashing keys isn't <laughs> Well, I call, I call that a smash, not like a hard smash, but like a, no, I call that a splat. Sorry. That's it's, it's splat, splat, three, two, one. That's how you play the song. A splat, splat, three, two, one. All right. So within uh, two years, we'll, we'll see, I'll, I'll do a follow-up and we'll see how Clea's doing. And uh... how about this? I'll send you, you have, you subscribe to my music, uh, my right. music YouTube channel. Got it. Music prism. That's the name of it. It'll be in the description down below. I will, I will send the, I will send a video to your daughter. You can learn it with your daughter. Please learn it with your daughter. I will. I will. Trust you know, me. That was I'm all over this. I didn't mean to spend so much time talking about Suzuki, but uh, man, he really, he really did get in my brain. Suzuki's approach was when kids came in for lessons, parents came with them. I'm in it. I'm in. Learn I'm it in. with your kid. It's fun. I'm in. Yeah. This is my, uh, this is my childhood. Uh, I, I'm excited that my daughter wants to learn it. Cause I, like, like I said, I played a little bit when I was a kid and then I, this is always one of my regrets. And I, we were talking about this before. I always talk about, you have to find a balance between tapping the kids' passions and actually exposing the things they might not know they're interested in. And I, my parents left me off the hook for playing piano. Once I like started having friends, I wish they had said, Nope, you're playing piano. 
And so I'm like, hey, okay, well, that's my chance to, to do there, it. There, there it is. And it's a two, it's a two way street. There was, um, I got to give my sister some props too. I didn't really need to go back in time and give myself advice. Cause I I'm, I'm blessed enough. My, my family's insane. I could do a podcast on each member of my family if I wanted to. I'm, I'm so blessed in that category, but my sister, I got to give her credit for this. I was teaching chorus and struggling. So I was trying to have like that classical sound. I couldn't make the classical sound. Mm-hmm. And my sister says, Oh, I found this on YouTube. It's the PS 22 chorus in New York. Yeah. Right. I used to share them in my presentations all the time. I love them. So here I am at school. I remember getting a, a email from my sister at work. She's like, Hey, have you seen these? And I was struggling trying teaching first year, trying to do something that I wasn't good at that wasn't working. And I watched this PS 22 video. I forgot what they're saying, but these kids are singing with passion, with heart. I break out into tears. I'm just, I'm just like, I'm like, why am I, why is my face soaked right now? And it's because he took a different approach. They were doing pop tunes. They were tapping into where people already are. And from that day forward, I said, I'm stopping. I'm going to stop being a fake. I'm going to teach what I can teach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and fortunately nobody has ever given me any pushback on it. I love it. And PS22 chorus, one of my favorite, they've, they not only are, have a huge following on YouTube, um, but they've got to perform with some of the, you know, biggest artists in the world, which is amazing. So, man, I don't know, I don't know the name of that director or those, or those students, but I want to say if they ever, if they ever hear this back in 2008, you made a huge impact on me, which made me, I think to be a, 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 a much better teacher. Well, hopefully someone knows them and they're listening right now. So I would love that too. Um, Rob, Hey, thanks for so much for being on the podcast, taking time out of your, uh, break on a Monday, but I, I, I I'm looking forward to uh, showing you some progress and uh, you can actually connect with Rob. You'll see all of his uh, details down below. You can subscribe to his YouTube channel and we're expecting you're going to be the PS 22 chorus for someone else. listening to this right now. So let's do it. All right. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day.